Let's get into the word tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you would turn with me in your your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. All right, let's pray together. Father, we pray that we could keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, We pray over this outreach Jesus saves in a couple of weeks and pray you would bring unbelievers in our daily lives that we would have opportunity to proclaim the gospel and and demonstrate the gospel. That you would protect us from division in our families and our church family. And as we read of the work of the Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be open to the moving of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives, and that believers would be edified and unbelievers would be, would be one. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God is a God of order. Everywhere you look around, you see his design, especially in the human body. Have you ever considered the heart? How many times the, the heart beats uh, per minute? Scientists tell us that every time the heart beats, it beats one-third cup of blood. That's a lot of blood for one heartbeat. So in one day, the average heart puts through 1,500 to 2,000 gallons of blood. That's a tremendous amount of blood. Think in a gallon of milk. We're we're talking 1,500 to 2,000 gallons of milk. Over the course of one year, 11 million, 11 million And then over the course of a lifetime, a hundred million. Just your heart is continually flowing and beating. I just want you to take a moment and say thank you to your heart. Right? Take it for granted until it's not working. The order that God has placed in. DNA has been one of the discoveries that we've had in more recent times. Scientists call it the digital code. There's a code that's placed into each cell of your DNA. It's caused a a lot of evolutionists to reevaluate their position when they see the intense amount of design that there is in DNA. God's a God of order. And he also wants, when believers come together, that there would be order. That the Spirit of God would be alive and moving inside of order. The Church of Corinth would allow the, the Spirit to move, but they would not keep their gatherings in order to the point where people weren't getting edified. A lot of times inside of the church, there seems to be this tension between the spirit and order. And we tend to think if things are done in an orderly fashion, then the spirit of God can't move inside of that. And if things are a little bit more chaotic, then that must be a move of the spirit. And I think there's a balance. You know, you don't want things to be so rigid and tight and structured where there's no room for the moving of the spirit. But at the same time, the Spirit of God can work through order. Agreed? So, so just because something is done in an orderly fashion doesn't mean that there is the absence of the Holy Spirit. So Paul has been encouraging the church to keep love in mind when it comes to the using of the gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit. To evaluate, is the body being built up as the Spirit of God is moving? And that's why he paused for chapter 13. Chapter 12 was about... The move of the Spirit, chapter 14 is about the move of the Spirit, chapter 13 is that emphasis on love. This chapter really centers around 
the gift of tongues, the, the moving of, of tongues amongst believers. And when we're speaking in tongues in a public worship setting, how it is to operate. So verse 1 of chapter 14 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love. This exhortation that we studied for three weeks, 1 Corinthians 13, we're told to pursue love. You think about something that you pursue, and it means that you're on the offensive. If you're hunting, you're, you're pursuing your prey, right? You're pursuing that elk, that, that deer. If you're invested in a relationship, you're pursuing that relationship. If you're going at, after a degree in college, you're pursuing that relationship. So we're to actually put our feet toward love. We're, we're to pursue love. How do I live out loving God? How do I live out loving one another? Pursue love and then desire spiritual gifts. So the priority is love even over spiritual gifts. Yes, desire spiritual gifts, but pursue love. You'll notice once again, the word gifts is in italics, which means it's not in the original text. It really reads, pursue love and desire spiritual, but the manifestation of the Spirit. Some seem to get this idea that the moving of the Spirit is, is something that shouldn't operate today, that shouldn't take place in the, in the church of God today. And if there was ever a time where we needed the Spirit of God, it's now. So it's not that the Spirit of God in any way is bad, So we should desire for the work of the Spirit in our lives. Desire the work of the Spirit when we come together as believers. There is this emphasis on prophecy. And we'll see why as we go through this study, why prophecy is lifted up above speaking in tongues. The question is, what is prophecy? Some have reduced prophecy down to preaching and teaching. Inspired, Spirit-filled preaching and teaching. But there was an ancient Greek word that Paul did not use that stood for preaching. If he wanted to define preaching, he would have used that Greek word here. Prophecy, it it speaks of this revelation and speaking into the future. It's when the Spirit of God gives a word for that particular time for a body of, of believers. It's not contradictory to the Word of God, but it's different than preaching and teaching the word of God verse by verse like we're, we're doing this evening. It's a manifestation of the spirit where God gives a word of prophecy in, in that moment. In verse two, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mi- mysteries. So you might be going, I'm completely lost. What is this speaking in tongues? If there's something that has a lot of confusion around it in Scripture, it's, it's speaking in tongues. A good reference to look at is Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers in the upper room as they were instructed to wait and to pray. They began to speak in tongues. Many gathered around to hear what was taking place. Many nations were gathered at Jerusalem because of the celebration of Pentecost, and they heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. Here we're told in verse 2 that tongues is not directed towards men, but to God. They're, They're speaking to God in the Spirit, and they speak mysteries. 
So this is important when you think about the manifestation of the speaking in tongues is it's going to be directed towards the Lord. Sometimes in prayer meetings and church gatherings and someone gets up and speaks in tongues and then there's a waiting for an interpretation, a lot of times the interpretation is thus says the Lord to that tongue, but that wouldn't line up with scripture because tongues is going to be directed towards the Lord. It's going to be praise unto the Lord. It may have been a word of prophecy, but it was an interpretation to that tongue. The primary purpose of tongues is to worship the Lord, to allow God's spirit to move in our spirit to where we speak to the Lord in a tongue that is unknown to us. Verse three, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So prophecy is directed towards men. It's directed towards people, not directed towards God. And it provides edification, encouragement. It provides exhortation. Take that next step. It provides comfort. As the Spirit of God moves through the word of prophecy, it provides those three things in the body. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So, So Paul's not talking about when you're alone with God in praise and prayer. He's talking about when we're gathered together as believers, when the church of Corinth is gathered together as as believers. He makes a, a clear point here. He says, man, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. So tongues is not a bad thing. I'd encourage you to seek the Lord and say, God, is this something that you would like to do in my life? Would you like to manifest your spirit in my life to allow me to speak in tongues, to take me deeper in my praise and, and worship of you? Now, If God grants that, praise the Lord. If he doesn't grant that, you're no less of a Christian. (laughs) You're you're no less filled with the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of people were really comforted when Billy Graham years ago came out and said he's never spoken tongues, right? There's a man who's filled with the Spirit, but God hadn't moved it in his life in that way. But at the same time, don't put an aversion up to tongues to the point where you would say, I'm not open to this. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in this. When I study the scriptures and look at history and church history, when times are difficult and dark, the spirit of God is moving and stirring. And we are praying that the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. And it may be during this time of discouragement that the spirit of God wants to lift you up by granting to you to be able to speak in tongues so that you would be built up in your relationship with the Lord. But when it comes to when we're gathered together as believers, if someone is speaking in tongues and then there's no interpretation, how could the church be edified? It just sounds like gibberish. There's no clear communication. And Paul expands on this in the next few verses. But now, brethren, I come to you speaking with tongues. What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching? So how are you going to be built up unless it's through something that you understand? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, 
unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known when it is piped or, or played? A musical instrument has to have distinction in sound. Do, re, mi, fa, so, right? It's got to hit different notes and come together. A young child playing the piano does not have the ability to distinguish the notes, right? And we encourage, but we're going, oh, that sounds terrible. But then someone who knows how to play the piano, they're able to distinguish the sounds. Same with the gift of tongues. When it's used in a congregational setting, there has to be interpretation. There has to be a distinguishing in order for there to be edification. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? When you have a trumpet, the bugler, a particular sound, he better get it right because he's going to mobilize the whole force. So that sound is clear. You know exactly what it is. Our closest to that is probably our alarm clock. It's a distinct sound. We know it. It's going to get us out of bed. So likewise you, unless you utter by tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. True? Every language has significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts or the spirituals, the manifestations of the Spirit, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Paul points out a language barrier. If you're hanging out with someone and they don't know your language, you don't know their language, communication is hindered. And how much would edification be hindered if tongues are being used and there's no interpretation? So it's clear that the church of Corinth was allowing for there to be tongues without there being interpretation. As we go through this chapter, I want to pause and pull out some principles that I think are important for us in church and operating in the order that God has designed. God wants the message to be clear. Amen? He wants the message to be clear. Now, here at RMC, we're not speaking in tongues without interpretation, but we could fall into maybe a place where When people leave, they go, I don't really know what was taught. I don't understand what was being declared. And and so we want the message to to be clear from God's word. Or they go, oh yeah, they read through this chapter. They read through this section of scripture. They, They declared it. Hopefully it's not just man's opinions or man's good ideas, but we studied the word of God. I felt that I got fed the word of God. And we desire this throughout all of the ministries throughout youth and men's and and women's, that there's a clear message that is going forth so that people can walk away and be be edified. When we're spending time with believers in a less formal setting, we want to encourage one another in a message that's clear. When people walk away from spending time with us, was the message clear? Was the edification clear? Or was it gibberish? Was, Was the message convoluted. It's very important that the message be clear. And we go on in verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. 
For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. This is what's difficult, I think, for a lot of us with speaking in tongues, because Paul lists here for us and says, when someone speaks in tongues, their spirit, their inner man is encouraged, but the mind, it's unfruitful, right? We go, well, man, if my mind isn't being edified through this speaking in an unknown tongue that I, that I don't know, then why, why would I do it, right? But God is using that in our lives if he allows it to build up our, our spirit. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with understanding. So Paul has times where he's praying in tongues, praying in the spirit, but also praying in understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I'll sing in tongues. I'll also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't understand what is said? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So here I am, moved by the Spirit, speaking in tongues, singing in the Spirit, and someone next to me can't understand what is being declared because it's in tongues, right? And they're not built up. They're, they're not edified. They're not encouraged. So that would be better to have it be alone when you're with God in your prayer closet or for there to be interpretation so that they could be built up. Verse 18, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also. than 10,000 words in a tongue. Once again, Paul is not putting down speaking in tongues. Saying tongues is great. He's like, I'm, I'm thankful that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but if I were in church, I'd rather just have five words that were understood than a whole bunch of speaking in tongues. Remember when my brother graduated college, the guy that did the commencement speech, he said two sentences and got off the stage. He was going for impact, right? Sometimes five words could be really powerful, you're waiting for a five-word sermon from Eric, right? Really, really quick and, and to the point. And Paul says, I'd rather just speak five words and have people understand than to speak in tongues and have people be confused. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So we want to be innocent in what's evil, but we don't want to be childish when it comes to maturity and it comes to understanding. Paul's wanting the church of Corinth to understand these things. Verse 21, in the law it's written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. This is quoting Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12. Therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. This is a challenging section. This may be one of the more difficult sections in the New Testament to understand and interpret. So stay with me in verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind. But if 
all prophecy and an unbeliever on an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convinced uh, by all and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling down on his face, he worships God and report that God is truly among you. So what's so difficult to understand in that? Well, what did verse 22 say? Verse 22 said, tongues is a sign for the unbelievers and prophecy is for believers. Now that's clear if Paul wouldn't have read verse 23 through 25 because then in verse 23 through 25, he clearly states that prophecy just does an amazing work on an unbeliever. So what is it, right? Is it that prophecy is just for the believers? So I'd really like to ask Paul for more clarity on this when I go home to be with the Lord. So here's my summary, is God uses tongues in the life of unbelievers. As unbelievers come in around believers, and it's used in decency and order, and there's the speaking in tongues, and there's interpretation, they go, wow, this is amazing. God is, God is moving. This, that's what we see in Acts chapter 2, that tongues was assigned to unbelievers. But also, I do think that prophecy does a work to encourage believers, but also speak to unbelievers. As unbelievers come in, and there's that knowledge that could only come from the Lord in that specific situation, then they're convicted. And they understand that God is in their midst, and God understands the secrets of men's hearts. And they fall down on their face, and they worship God, and it's reported that God is truly among them. Wouldn't that be an awesome testimony of our time together as believers is God is among them. When unbelievers come, which we're so thankful, if you're an unbeliever and you're here tonight and unbelievers come all the time, is that they go, man, something was different about that group of people. God was really there. And that's what they go and they share with others. Man, if, if you want to know the Lord, you got to get around those group of people. God is meeting with them in the midst of, of them. And so this is another principle for us, I think, that to extract out of Scripture tonight is unbelievers need to be able to understand. <laughs> when we spend time together with believers, we need to remember that there's those that don't know what we're talking about. And it's oftentimes been referred to as Christianese, right? Where we're speaking in an unknown language and we're not taking the time to define and explain those terms. Maybe that was your experience when you first came to know Christ your Savior and people are throwing out words like justification and sanctification and propitiation and you're like, what's, what's with the T-I-O-N? You know, what, what is all this stuff? This, this seems so foreign to me. Would someone sit down and, and please uh, explain this uh, to me? And so we want to be aware of, man, unbelievers, people that don't know Christ as their Savior, don't assume when we gather together that everybody knows Christ. It seems like that the church of Corinth was getting together and they're like, yeah, everybody's in, everybody knows the Lord, and yet there were unbelievers there and they weren't taking the time to stop and consider, man, did the unbelievers understand? Maybe there's an unbeliever in your life that you're friends with, right? And have you stopped to consider, am I maybe talking about some things about God that's just going right over their head? And Lord, would you give me wisdom to try to explain this to them in a way that they would understand or, or to stop and ask them, does this make any sense to you? Do you have 
any questions, right? This is one of the things that factored into our hearts even in wearing masks to get to our seat. We've seen people come to know Christ during these COVID services, right? Not everybody that comes in is a believer, right? And so if us wearing our masks from the foyer to our seat makes an unbeliever feel comfortable to be able to hear the gospel, it's worth it, right? I'd hate for an unbeliever to come in and and look around and go, man, I I don't feel comfortable, so I'm not going to come in and and hear the gospel. And and it's not just an issue of masks, right? It's an issue of the the way that we're loving them, the way that we're taking time to notice that they're here and taking the time to be able to explain the, the scriptures to them. Over the years at Rocky Mountain Calvary, God has used the body here to reach out to unbelievers and invite them to church. Why do unbelievers come? Because you invite them. And by God's grace, we've seen many, many, many come to know Christ as as their Savior, which is exciting. It's so cool. I, I hope by God's grace that our church is always a church where lost people come. Because otherwise, what are we doing, right? There's the aspect where believers are getting edified, but hopefully unbelievers are being reached as well. So, Unbelievers need to be able to, to understand what's, what's taking place. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So what seems to be taking place is much more of their, their prayer gathering here than their Bible study. This, this would be a Bible study that we're doing here tonight. But what we're referring to is is a prayer gathering where people are participating. And so some would come with a psalm, uh, some would come with a teaching, some would come with speaking in tongues and and interpretation. But Paul's saying, let it all be done for edification. Make sure there's some order to it, to where you're not just all talking on top of each other. And if there, there is tongues, that there's interpretation. This is what's nice about smaller gatherings, right? We gather here together in larger groups, but we can also gather together with believers in smaller groups and say, hey guys, let's get together and let's pray and see what the Spirit of God puts on our hearts. And as the Lord puts a scripture on your heart, why don't you read it? As the Lord puts a song upon your heart, why don't you sing it? You know, if the Lord moves through the speaking of tongues, then let's wait for uh, interpretation. It'd be difficult even with this size of people, which is smaller than what it used to be on a Saturday night. What if we took turns tonight and said, okay, everybody's going to have opportunity to share. We'd be here till midnight, wouldn't we, right? So it's a different type of gathering than the larger Bible study gathering, but it's important getting together in a smaller group of believers and sharing what the Lord has put on your heart. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So this is balance. This is balance. The whole time of their gathering shouldn't be devoted to tongues. There should be, at the most, two or three, and interpretation that comes with it. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So say there was the speaking in tongues in a public gathering, but there was no interpretation. 
then they were to move on. They, they were then to go ahead and close down that time of speaking in tongues. If someone does give a word of prophecy, it should be judged. It should be looked at, is it biblical, and to discern what is being said. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So this is not speaking over each other. Not everybody's speaking at the same time. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as is in all the churches of the saints. The spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. Some people are saying, I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I have no control over my body. I can't help but to roll around on the ground. I can't help but to bark like a dog. The, the Spirit of God is, is, a, is upon my life. Well, wait a second. What does this say? What, is, what does Scripture tells us? Scripture tells us that the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Does it seem like the Holy Spirit to you if there's no self-control? The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So don't be afraid of the work of the Spirit because the Spirit's not going to remove self-control from your life. Here's another principle in verse 33, is that God does not author confusion. God's the author of clarity, not confusion. If there's the end of our time together and there's not clarity, something's wrong, right? If there's, if there's confusion, that's not God's work. This is a, another principle for us in our times together is, Lord, would you please allow there to be clarity and for there not to be confusion? In our own lives personally, to look for God's working through clarity. When there's the clarity that comes from the Lord, there's peace, isn't there? When we know that God has spoken through his word, then there's peace that comes into our body, our church, and into our lives individually. Another issue that Paul addresses here in the next few verses. Let your women keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originally come to you, or was it you only that it reached? Once again, the context of this is their church gatherings are out of order. So there must have been ladies in the church as you get this chaotic atmosphere taking place where there's the speaking of tongues, but there's no interpretation, people talking all over each other. And then here's some ladies that are asking questions. And these asking of questions seem to be out of order and distracting and leading away from edification. I don't think that the scripture teaches, we have to interpret scripture with scripture, that women aren't allowed to speak in church. How do we know? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talked about women praying in, in church when he addressed uh, head coverings. We know that Philip's four daughters, they, they prophesied. Uh, women encouraged to, to sing in church. So, so this isn't saying that, that women can't pray, that women can't sing, or women just have to sit in absolute silence. But as we look at this chapter of 
the order that God has set up, there is an order that God has set up in the home, and that is for husbands to be spiritual leaders, for husbands to, to lead their families. And, and church is to affirm that. Men, we want to affirm that in your lives and encourage you that you are the spiritual leader in your home. You are the spiritual leader of, of, your, of your marriage. And so part of this was the women are, are going to the church to get these spiritual questions answered when they should first be going to their husbands. Ladies, try this out. If you've got a question about the scripture, about theology, about the things of God, ask your husband, right? And give him the opportunity to figure it out. And that something that happens in the heart of a husband is like, oh, 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 is my wife asking me, right? Like, I don't know. I've never heard that before. So I'm going to go look it up. I'm going to get in the scriptures. I'm going to search it out. Maybe I'll call one of the pastors and go to gotquestions.org and try, try to understand this. And let's, let's study it together. But ladies, if you don't give your opportunity for your husband to do that, you're not giving him the opportunity to grow as that spiritual leader as the way that the Lord would, would intend. A lot of times, our pastoral staff has said this, have you asked your husband? <laughs> have you asked your husband? Or, you know, let's bring your husband in on this one because we want to be careful as pastors to not usurp the authority that God has placed inside of your home for your husband to be that spiritual leader. So in the midst of this, there's a little challenge here. And the challenge is this, is, is men, may God equip us to be those spiritual leaders. May we be prayerful over our families and studying the scriptures for ourselves and, and sharing the word with our wife and, and kids and allowing them to field questions our way. It, it's not the church's responsibility to care for your family. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. The, the loving of our wives and washing them in the water of the word, that, that comes to us, husbands. To disciple our kids, that comes to us, husbands. One of the good things that God's been doing in, in COVID is it's caused us as parents to go, man, the church isn't able to provide all of these things. Children's ministry, youth ministry. What's going on in my kid's life spiritually? I guess I'm going to have to step in. And the church is never to be the primary in a child's life. The church is to be the secondary. The church comes alongside and supports Husbands, I don't want you to hear condemnation. I want you to hear it can be done in Christ, right? None of us are perfect spiritual leaders. The only perfect spiritual leader is Christ. But Christ in us can grow us and equip us. And then wives, let your husband have that place. Let, let him be your, your spiritual leader and see how the Lord works inside of that in the midst of your marriage. In verse 37 if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are commands of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul is basically saying, learning's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you if you want to learn. In verse 39, therefore, brother, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done in decency and in order. So prophecy having that place over speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues being allowed, and then for all things to be done 
in decency and in order. So pursue love. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Are the manifestations of the Spirit happening in love to where others are being edified? Or are we just simply enjoying the experience or enjoying using our our spiritual gifts? And then the other part of this is for us to consider, am I completely closed off to the manifestation of the Spirit? It may be, well, I'm glad I read 1 Corinthians 14. I'm never going to speak in tongues, so this is no problem for me. (laughs) Got this wrapped up, right? What if the Lord were to surprise you and as you're in worship, he began to move in your life to, to speak in tongues? I don't know about you, but I want whatever God has for me right? If there's anything in this spiritual realm and the manifestation of the Spirit that is going to bring me closer to the Lord, allow me to be a greater witness, then I want to be open to it, right? So if I were to give a summary of our, our fellowship, right, we're not erring on the side of decency and in order. <laughs> we got the decency and order down, don't we? Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for that. I think the Spirit of God moves through the decency and in order. But where we could err is believing that the manifestation of the Spirit is for today. Where we could err is believing that the filling of the Holy Spirit is for today. That the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And if we're going to be the believers in the body that God wants us to be, we have to be empowered with the Spirit. And remember, the whole purpose of the Spirit is so we can be witnesses. Not just for these manifestations, these cool manifestations, but that our life could be filled with the love of God. Where when people come in contact with us, believers and unbelievers, they go, wow, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Clear as mud? All right, let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We know, Holy Spirit, that you're our helper, that you're our teacher, that you're our empowerer. And we want to be open, Father, to however you would want to work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's those that you want to bless with the speaking in tongues, Lord, we ask for that. Lord, that there wouldn't be a fear. Lord, if there's words of prophecy that want to be spoken, and discernment that needs to, to be given, Lord, we want to be a body that, that operates in the gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit. Inside of love, inside of the edification of believers. And Lord, help us to pursue love. Pursue loving you, pursue loving one another, and a lost and dying world. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In, in Jesus' name, amen.